Well, I was born in Philadelphia and did rejoice last night when they trounced the Giants. First five minutes were a little tight, though. And I'm glad that I wasn't born in New Jersey, as some people think. I did minister there. Uh, there's no question about that and had that privilege. And when people ask me today, do you miss anything about the East Coast? Do you miss anything about Jersey? And there's usually five things that I'm going to say. You know, not in any specific order. I miss the Jersey sweet corn. I miss Panera bread. Right. Yeah, some of you have done All right. I miss it. I'm getting old and I'm starting to forget the other ones now. <laughs> Wawa coffee. Now, okay, you got that aspect here. I miss fishing for striped bass off the coast because got some large ones. And I miss the church that I was privileged. Other than that, when people say where I'm from and where I was, I go, New Jersey. I don't say it real loud because I never liked the state, period. But that's just the way it is. And Kyle's allowed his opinion. <laughs> Growing up north of Philadelphia, though, one of the things that I did to get, escape home life, everybody comes from a dysfunctional family, yet some of them are more dysfunctional than others. There's no question about that. I joined the Boy Scouts, and I loved that aspect. It was very, very active. We went all over the place with that. I went from the East Coast one time to Philmont, New Mexico. If anybody has heard of that or know, it's the National Scout Ranch. It's a unique place. It's dry. We went in the middle of the summer. We must have had a heat wave. And one of the processes of going and working with a group of people who in my group didn't really function real well together, but after a couple weeks of hiking and drinking lukewarm water in very hot climate at that point, several of us got together and said, what are you looking forward to? I said, I'm looking forward to getting as many bottles of soda pop in my hand that are cold and drinking them. And you know what happened? A bunch of other 15, 16-year-olds, that's all we did. At the end of that, we were looking forward so much. We focused on that cool refreshment. And finally, we got to the day that we were done hiking and so forth here. And they said there's a canteen general store right at the end. And we actually saw it about two miles away. I think our pace quickened, all right? We got up to the store, and each one of us bought as many ice-cold bottles of pop soda that we could actually hold. And there was a wall that was there at the same point here, and we sat down you know, and just drank to our heart's content. And I think there was an oral, ah, oh, because it felt so good. And we were refreshed. I want to talk about a character in the scripture who means a whole lot to me. He's not a household name, but he was one who brought refreshment. Nobody names their sons after him, but then again, you don't name him after Mehashalala Hashbaz either, Isaiah's second son. But his name was Onesiphorus. It's only mentioned a few times, but he's mentioned in 2 Timothy 1, and he's mentioned in 2 Timothy 4. And he's a fascinating individual to look at, I believe. It's in a context that is interesting. There is victory, and then there's a real stretching of time for the Apostle Paul, because this, we believe, is the last thing he ever wrote. He's in a Roman cell, and it probably doesn't look like cells today. It also is a time where you see the contrast of disloyalty, and you see loyalty, and you see a guy step up, and his name is mentioned, 
and I want to look at that this morning for a few minutes because there's some great general, I think, application from this. But I also think there's some very specific things for Montana Bible College and school life and dorm life and home life and ministry life that is there. Turn with me, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, four verses I read. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and he found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. One of the first things you see is, in verse 15, is this whole aspect of disloyalty. What happens with it? You look at him, and what does he say to begin with? The Apostle Paul says, all in Asia turned away from me. Now, when you and I think of Asia, typically we think of a five-lettered country that begins with C. That's not what he has in mind. He's talking Asia Minor, and you have to go all the way over to Western Asia, which is really modern-day Turkey. But always have the thinking in the back of your mind that outside of Israel, it's Turkey that has the most biblical sites that are there. So that's the part of the locale. And when he says all in Asia, I have to sit back and say, wait a minute, is he talking everybody there? And I'm not sure he is because we do know Timothy, whom he writes to in this pastoral letter, was ministering in Ephesus, world-class city, as a pastor at that point here. So is he talking about Timothy who would have supported him? I think he may be talking to or referring to all those from Asia that might be in Rome at that particular point. But when he uses that term, he says all of them. You get the idea? It's a big picture all in Asia, and then it says, turned away from me. Word also could be translated, deserted, rejected. And all of a sudden, you get to feel some of the things that are going on when he says, all in Asia, deserted me. And what they did is, it was like everybody, for the most part, took off and left Paul to stand alone against Roman senators, the councils, and an irrational Caesar, Caesar who was on a mad purge. Now, was anybody with him? We do learn somebody was with him. You can go to chapter 4, and I just read these couple verses where he says, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me, gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. The last two, of course, went on missions of ministry, and then he says, only Luke is with me. So at least Dr. Luke is there along the path. Pick up Mark, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But when you look at him, you see all in Asia deserted. Defection hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It can't help but hurt, and that's where he's at at the time. Then he names a couple of the characters that are there. Now, if you just hear Phygelus and Hermogenes, your first thought is, okay, what kind of pasteurized cottage cheese is that stuff? Because it kind of sounds a little bit like that. There's nothing known about these guys, except their, their names are kind of significant. One means little fugitive, and the other means lucky born. I don't know 
what we can draw from that one, but it's just there. But what we do know is he names the two of them. Why? Maybe they were ringleaders. I have no idea. But one of the things you do pick up from it is the very fact that these were individuals that he expected to take a stand with him. These guys were a surprise. These guys might have been like Peter who said, and I would have done the same thing, Lord, I'm with you up to the end. It's a tough time. And when you think of what's going on with it here, I don't think you can't help but feel some of the pain that's being experienced at this time that Paul is processing along the way. And so when you look at that aspect here, it's real. And maybe even as I mentioned some of those aspects of defection, it comes to the mind that people here may have experienced different aspects where you have been hurt or wronged. And although you made a real investment of your life and time, your investment was returned with heartache. You got the passage. You got how he feels. And then it turns to verse 16. And you're introduced. It says, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Now, Onesiphorus, there's several things that stick up that we know he was really good at or what he did. And that's why I like this character. His name is interesting because if you take apart his name, his actual name means one who brings help one who brings profit, one who benefits. But he's an individual who also lives up to his name. It matches. And then it says he often what? What does it say in your text? Refreshed me. Wording is interesting at this time here with it because it means to, to help cool off, to kind of be the cool breeze on a hot day. You got the picture? All right, now I've only been in Montana for a little less than a year at this point here. I appreciate there's not the humidity that I had back in Jersey. <laughs> One of the things you experienced, and I ended up in New Jersey um, after seminary, just to let you know, I mean, my wife and I were tuned to ministry. I came to faith when I was 18 years of age, didn't know a zip, except I was a, you know, a, God saved a sinner. That was it. And at a mission conference two weeks after coming to faith, what happened in my life? I sensed God leading into ministry. I, I don't know anything. So I transferred from wherever else I was going to be going, ended up, at that point, it was called Philadelphia College of Bible, and that was my undergraduate school. But after that, my wife and I were in a seminary in the South, in Texas, and one of them anyway. And one of the things with that, when we finished up there, God was leading us to pastoral ministry, and we were excited about it. And we often prayed, Lord, we just want to go wherever you want. But not New Jersey or Houston, Texas. And uh, God worked it all out, and I ended up in a place where it was such a delightful group of people whom he entrusted me to love and shepherd. It's still special to this day with it here. But I'll tell you what, it gets hot out there at times. Because if you're closer to the shore, you're going to have maybe 90, 92, 95 at times, and you're going to get the humidity. And so if you're outside, I mean, you come in. How many here appreciate air conditioning? All right? So you know what it is. If you're working hot and you come in, and all of a sudden you what? You begin to relax. You begin to refresh. In fact, a lot of people will raise the question today, doesn't this place have air conditioning? 
You understand? It refreshes you at this point. This is what this man did to the Apostle Paul. Now, I don't know about you. When I think of the Apostle Paul, I think of somebody who's got it together. All right? But he was hurting. And it reminds us, because all of us will at different times. But he did what? He refreshed him. And he not, didn't do it just once. How often did he do it? He often did that. How many of us remember growing up in a home when you're maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine, and you get sick? You get a flu bug, whatever, and you've got a fever, and you're 102, 103 degrees. Typically, moms would do this. Dads would do it, but usually moms are more associated with the kids with the work schedules and so forth here. How many of you remember laying there? Okay, and you're hot and you're miserable. And then mom gets the coldest washcloth that she can find. You got it in your mind? And what does she do? She comes in and she puts it over your head and you're laying there and you go, ah. Now, of course, it lasts forever, right? <laughs> no. Now, maybe sometime later on, or mom, would you? and puts it back on your head, and what did it do? It temporarily gave you the refreshment to help you to go forward and deal with that which you were dealing with at that point here. That's Onesiphorus. What else did he do? He says he was not ashamed of his chains. Remember, Paul is a seditious, rabble-rousing prisoner and heretic to the crown. Capital offense. And he wasn't ashamed of him because the other people were. And in the process of that, if you stand for the one who is the absolute one, which Onesiphorus did, the winds of disfavor can fall upon you. And he was not ashamed of his chains. What else do you pick up there? You pick up, he was eagerly sought me at that point. Do you notice that? In the text, it says, when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me. Now, we don't know whether it was the first time in Rome or whatever. Got to understand, in that particular city, you didn't quite have a GPS or, you know, Google Maps in order to get you to the place where the prisoners might be. The prisoners might move. There's fires in Rome. There's a mad seizure, Caesar on a purge. There's all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, the fact is that he was male, and he probably didn't ask for directions at first here. How many? We won't go there. But you understand the whole package. It took him a while, but you see the persistence that he eagerly went after to find him out to do this. He was very, very proactive. And then the other thing you see is, this guy's got a reputation for this. Did you catch it at the end, the last verse, when it says, the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day? Because people don't know whether he's alive or dead right now. There's a debate on it and so forth. My conclusion is he's no longer alive. I can't prove it. I don't know. Could he have been both incarcerated? Could he have been martyred at that point. We don't know that aspect of it here, but he goes on to say the avenue of his reputation for service that is there, which Timothy witnessed in Ephesus across the water, which is a seaport class town, class city in that sense here, but he had that model for service as well. But here's a guy who was proactive, who came alongside a man whom we wouldn't think needed refreshment, and he did what? He refreshed him. Now, I think it's some general principles. What do we do with that here? How do we handle that aspect? And I couldn't help but think, before I deal with some other specifics, that, you know, when I think of Paul in chains, just like the word refreshed is used kind of metaphorically, he's in chains. I think we could take something from that because there's people in chains all around us. You just don't see them. There's failure. 
How many of us know people who have failed? We all have, because we may identify with it. People both with maybe job, maybe school, maybe life, maybe relationships, and they're kind of manacled to the chains of humiliation because they've failed. Or in their mind, perception is reality. In their mind, they look at themselves that way. Cannot somebody come along and be that cool breeze on a hot day? There's others who have, quote unquote, chains on them, and it may be because of, well, I'll just use the example of divorce, because it happens in Christians today for varieties of reasons that people get divorced. And not all situations, as you would understand, um, people say marriage is a 50-50 relationship. It's not. It's 100-100. But you know, when it comes to breakups and different stuff, it's not always 50-50. There are some people who desert. There are some people who leave. And there's two sinners in the relationship. But you know what the person who is left is faced with? The chains of rejection. And that hurts. And thinking through, how could I be a cool breeze on a hot day to maybe just help relieve that aspect of it? Or how about the, the chains of, of being totally misunderstood? I mean, those things are there. Um, or the chains of awkwardness with anybody who is terminally ill. Uh, this year has been a fascinating year for me. I always want to know what in creation is retirement. I don't know. You know, with it here, but I, I look back at God's sovereignty and because I've spent more time back east than I basically spent here because of dealing with some situations. My brother and my mother lived in the same house, kind of codependent. My mother's 96. My bro younger brother was there came down with cancer, throat cancer, and uh, um, I was back in February, I was back in April, I was back in May, and I knew things were starting to get tight with him. And uh, my brother had, it was an ugly situation, and, and um, when you ever you look at all the pictures of advertising The Walking Dead, you would look at my brother. Throat cancer, cut him from here to here, took out his larynx, everything blew up on him. And it was just a very difficult situation, to say the least. And he couldn't talk because they took his larynx. And he's more frustrated than he normally is. And my brother was not a pleasant person to be around. Confirmed bachelor. You know, sometimes people use the, the glass. It's half empty, half full. There's no water in the next county that would be closest. There's no water in his glass. My daughters would call him Mr. Grumpy. You know, and that's who he was, miserable individual. But I get the note from a caregiver for my mom, you need to get out here. Dave keeps asking, when's Joe coming? When's Joe coming? When's Joe coming? Because he's dying in the awkwardness. And so to take this and put it in hand, because he and I, we, we went separate ways. I mean, he was a recovering alcoholic. I'm glad for that aspect. But he always looked in the past as opposed to looking and going forward, didn't know Christ, can't talk. And he asked me to take care of him for the last, it turned out, five weeks of his life that was there. And when you watch a person on their hands and knees grasping their head because it hurts so much because the cancer has spread, you know, I don't, can't tell you how many tears that I shed at that time, but how could I be an encouragement? So for 24-7, I was there. What could I do? And so I tried to be as helpful, more tired than any time in my heart and life, my whole, whole life. Read scripture. He doesn't know Christ. Thank God that there was a thief on the cross that gives us hope that repented at last. I don't know with my brother. He certainly heard it. He died, then my mother died a few weeks later, you know, at that point here. But there's the chains of awkwardness around people who are terminally ill. How about those who are sick? 
Do you know those? I know them because I deal with family issues along that line. And I'll tell you what, how can the chains of what? How can I be a refreshment? I'll tell you one of the things that I've been privileged to do for the last several years, well, the last couple of decades actually, is the church has allowed me sufficient time. I think probably some of them are thinking, we're rid of him for a little while. So I'd have weeks away to be on mission field. And I've been privileged to be all over the, the world in many different places, many different times, taking, sometimes it would be solo, depending upon what I was involved with, or taking groups that would be your age, for at least a lot of you, into different places to see different things and get a hands-on ministry. The focus the last half dozen years has been a country called Swaziland. Now, some of you go, Swazi what? It's to the east of South Africa, the Swazi people. Only country in the world with a declining population, and there's a reason for it, is that it's the highest HIV percentage in the world, 38%. And as I've often told people, you can't minister to, to every need, but you can minister to some need, so be sensitive to the need that God would have you to minister to, that God led and then bringing in teams of people to come alongside a group of Christians from Canada, Canadian social entrepreneurs, Christians who came in and bought at a, at, and, at, excuse me, an abandoned asbestos mining town. Because, you know, asbestos isn't too popular today. Still in the, the land around it here, but if you don't mix it, it's okay. And they took the buildings and then they start bringing in orphans and promote both education and health care and other issues. And so one of the things that I would do is we would bring in teams at this point. But we had a name for our team. They were always called Team Onesiphorus. Because we took our team and said, any which way you can be a refreshment to children, because you don't know whether they're, they're positive or not, any which way you can be a refreshment, the cool breeze on a hot day, to the staff workers, both whether they were national Swazis or whether they were South Africans or Brits, a few Americans and Asians that were on staff there, to come along, what could we do to do that? And so I had that privilege of doing that for a number of years with it here so you could come along with it. Now, I dearly missed it this year because I didn't get the chance to go and I had some other stuff. I'm heading back in February at this point here. But I have also learned some lessons through life itself is not to expect that it would be the same way once I go back again. So I contacted a guy whom I know well, a young South African guy, German-matic background, contacted Kurt and said, would I still be welcome to be coming back? And he quickly emails me back, and I'm not doing this when I say this, but he said, you come back, please, because you've always been a blessing and encouragement to us. You know, that was the goal. Because short-term mission trips and different things here, if they're ab about you, they're a waste of time. They have to go with the idea of fulfilling the agenda of the people there and their mission. And so that was the avenue of going back at that point here. But there's that chains of awkwardness, that chains of just illness that comes along. How about specifically, when I was thinking of this passage here, how would it do with freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors? I'm glad there was no raw at that point when I called your respective class one here. Does this impact you? How about first-year students here who just arrived not too long ago? How many of you processed them? that one real good? When I was in undergraduate school, 
I wanted to go home after 36 hours. I didn't think I fit in. All right, and I'm a pretty strong individual here, but it just freaked me out at that time. And then some people came along, and it was helpful, and then I was fine. But I was going right back to a more dysfunctional home than that was, which, which was there. I mean, how many were tempted to leave right away? You don't have to raise your hand. All right? How many of you have it figured out as a freshman? All right? You got that doctrine paper that you've got to write, joy to the world. All right? And then you got that one at the end of the semester. And how many here are trying to figure out the professors? What do they want? Psst. Their spouses are probably asking that same question. But how can somebody come along and continue to help in that way, whether it's an upperclassman or whether it's a staff or someone else? Because you know what? I never ran into, ran into anybody who doesn't need a cool breeze on a hot day. There are some of you who are probably thinking of graduating at some point. Praise God. Or in that last year. And that brings some different issues to it, right? Because you've been here for a while and everybody looks up to you and the thinking is, well, I've got this together. And you know you don't because now there's a lot more unknowns. Now, yes, God is going to lead. But, you know, occasionally I've run into students who are graduating from institutions. And if they're not questioning what's going to happen next, if they're married, their spouse is questioning it. And sometimes that unknown comes along and just grabs us. And you know, for others to come alongside and even give that cool breeze idea of simply saying, hey, if he led you this far, he knows your will, his will for you better than you do, he'll do it. But you know, you need that at different times. And then if you're in between you know, the, the sophomore and junior time, now you may be single. Well, that can be a tough thing, because sometimes people don't always want to be single. Sometimes people are glad they are. But sometimes those who may be a little bit older as well, because you may be in your second or third year, and you know you find yourself a specialist in juggling, because you've got balls in the air all over the place. You've got school. You have work. If you're married, you have a spouse. Some of you have children. And trying to bounce all those balls in the air at the same time, that can be a tough thing at different points. And how can an Onesiphorus come alongside? Doesn't have to be much and just be a cool breeze on a hot day, even if it's for five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour in a busy schedule. And of course, professors are professors. They don't really need refreshments. They've got it together. Or if in one other area I'll share ministry of refreshment, you probably have ministries. Am I correct? All right. Some of you probably have ministries with children. Some, they may be older at this stage. Typically, a number of you may be involved in junior high, senior high youth groups and things like that. Am I correct? Some may be young adults, whatever it would be, or whatever your ministry is. Here's one way you can be an encouragement before I get ready to close. Know their names. Know their names. We live in such an impersonal society. I haven't noticed it as much here, but where I came from, they're very, very impersonal, a lot more people. You know, it's impersonal at that point. One of the things I used to do each Sunday, and again, it's not this, but I, hopefully it was smarts with it here, because you have visitors that come to services, all right? Now, we had friendship pads. You go into lots of churches, you'll pass something through and so forth, and there's always that visitor checklist. 
you know, and I tried to be, because I was always at doors and so forth, to be sensitive. You're trying to always, as a pastor, to be sensitive to those who are regularly there and those who are new and are seeking and searching for whatever the reason is. But visitors were very much on my heart and mind. And then of our two morning services, I get different, I get the reports back. But I always tried to, if I could introduce myself, and I go back to my office and write down something regarding those people here, their children's names, anything I could do. The following Sunday, there's a lot on the mind. And I was very much involved in, not preparation, but I, my practice was preach messages twice before I did it. I'm up very early in the morning, I preach at time, it. you only have so much time to go, make sure that your transitions are clear before I'd actually go into services. But I'd spend some time after a staff prayer meeting before services and I'd just look over those names, all right? And I can't tell you how many times when people came back that I was able to remember the names and have them look at me and go, you remembered us. And I want to tell you, it refreshed a heart and soul in an impersonal society. So I don't know whether, what age they are, because kids are precious. Do whatever you can. Know their name. Know the name of those high schoolers. Know the names of the people, if you can, that you are ministering to. Because if you can address them, by name, it values them, it shows them worth. And you know what? It also refreshes us at different times because how many of us want to be forgotten? We don't. So may we have a ministry of refreshment. Let me work close in prayer. Father, as we come before you, I thank you for a character in scripture who encourages my heart. It cost him, but he was an individual who purposely was unselfish, who was determined, who was available, who had a listening ear and a spirit of sensitivity towards others. And he refreshed a man who many of us wouldn't think would need it because of who he is, but he refreshed the Apostle Paul. It's Tuesday, Lord. You're aware of that. May we simply be, this week, this day, a cool breeze on a hot day in the spheres of busyness that many are involved with. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.